stablecoin is a type of crypto asset that, rather than serving primarily as a vehicle for speculation, for betting essentially, meant to go up and down in price so folks who buy low can someday sell high, stablecoins are meant to remain stable, to not go up, not go down, and to stick as closely as possible to the value of some other asset. Most stablecoins are meant to remain pegged to the US dollar. There are a few that are instead pegged to euros or other state-backed fiat currencies. Still others are pegged to the value of other crypto assets, though these are fewer and farther between, as the purpose of most stablecoins is to be the interstitium, the connective tissue between other sorts of assets, especially crypto assets. So the main use case of stablecoins tends to be as a means of exchange between these other assets and for the purpose of storing value in between investment periods. You might cash out your Bitcoin haul, a crypto asset that's more often used for speculation purposes, and that cash out might be into a stablecoin rather than directly into USDs or euros. The benefit of this approach is that those stablecoins keep your cashed-out value in the crypto market, which makes it easier to then put that value back into other crypto assets without having to worry about transfers to and from banks and other centralized financial institutions of that kind. But it can also have tax benefits, especially if your local tax laws don't take non-fiat currency value into full account. There's a chance, then, that you can cash out a million dollars worth of Bitcoin into a stablecoin, and because you own that money in stablecoins rather than dollars, the IRS or local tax agency doesn't see it. It's not legible, or there are no set laws as to how they deal with it, and thus, you do not pay taxes on that income, or don't pay as much as you would on real deal dollars. Many stablecoins are also backed by assets that are not directly correlated to the fiat currencies to which they are pegged, so it's theoretically possible to benefit from owning USD-pegged stablecoins that are backed by a combination of bonds, dollars, and crypto assets, assuming the stablecoin in question is managed in good faith, which is far from a definitive assumption, unfortunately. In this context, for a stablecoin to be backed means that its value is supported by an external asset of some kind. And in some cases, this means that you can theoretically at least exchange your stablecoin that is pegged to the US dollar for a US dollar anytime you want. The ability to do this, to have that one-for-one -one exchange option, is part of what lends some of these coins their stability. Lacking that capacity to swap a coin for a dollar anytime you want, it's not obvious why anyone should value these things at the same level as the asset to which they're pegged. You can't just say, this crypto coin I invented is worth a dollar, and have people take you seriously. Most stable coins, then, are created in tandem with the accumulation of assets so that there is a backing beyond mere trust and the claim that the coin is worth something. Most stablecoins today opt for a multi-asset backing approach, like I mentioned before, rather than a one-for-one -one currency backing approach. This means they can be exchanged one-for-one -one if you really want to do that, but they're not, in general, backed by the exact quantity of currency to which they're pegged. Instead, they are backed with some currency, some treasuries, some debt, and other sorts of assets. A more balanced portfolio, if you want to think about it that way. 
The value of this combination of assets still needs to reflect the value of the total number of stablecoins they've issued, but because the value of these assets may ebb and flow, that backing will always only be an approximation. You try to get it close to a one-for-one -one setup as often as possible, but there's wiggle room and some amount of bookkeeping fuzziness involved. That fuzziness increases when stablecoins are completely backed by other crypto assets, as crypto assets in particular, many of them being vehicles for speculation, first and foremost, tend to fluctuate in value quite a lot, even from minute to minute. As such, while a crypto-backed stablecoin might sometimes have more value tucked away backing it than is distributed in coins, it will also sometimes have far less than is tucked away. Which means if everyone who owns these coins were to try to exchange them for the pegged currency value all at once, you would have a bank run situation, where some people would get their money, some would not, and the viability of the institution, the stablecoin, and the people running it would be called into question and possibly just disappear entirely. There's another type of stablecoin, though, which is quite a bit rarer, which are called senioridge, or algorithmic stablecoins. And the concept here is that the coins are not backed in the sense that there isn't a bunch of money or real estate assets or debt or even crypto assets tucked away in a bank account or crypto wallet somewhere waiting to be exchanged one for one if someone asks. Instead, algorithms are used to create and destroy coins, which ostensibly, at least, keeps the value as close as possible to the value of the pegged asset. So an algorithmic stablecoin is predicated more on the concept of supply and demand, and the software running things will create more coins when the value seems to be going up above the dollar that it's pegged to. And it will destroy coins, lowering the number that are available to raise the value when that market price drops below that of a dollar. Back in 2018, a crypto asset called Basis, which was an algorithmic stablecoin that raised about $133 million from investors that year, closed down due to concerns about impending regulations. Another stablecoin project that I did an episode on several years ago called Diem, which was started and operated by Facebook through an outside organization called the Diem Association, recently sold off its technology assets to Silvergate Capital for about $200 million. Diem was originally called Libra and was meant to serve as an in-platform stablecoin for Facebook and its partners, which included a bunch of high-profile tech and financial world entities, and it would be backed by a basket of assets, ranging from dollars and euros and other fiat currencies to assets like bonds and treasuries. Diem also disappeared due to regulatory concerns, despite changing shape several times in an attempt to get regulators on board with what they had in mind to basically allow folks to hold monetary value within Facebook and other online platforms without having to convert assets to fiat currencies on both sides of every transaction. What I'd like to talk about today is another stablecoin that recently collapsed, this time under far more dramatic circumstances, and what's happening in the crypto asset world amidst that collapse and an interconnected, macro-scale, global market sell-off. listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. 
The article I'd like to start with today comes from Bloomberg, and it's entitled Terra $45 billion Face Plant Creates Crowd of Crypto Losers. Terra USD is a stablecoin that's pegged to the actual USD via an algorithmic link to another crypto asset. This one not a stablecoin, but rather the more conventional type of speculative crypto coin called Luna. The idea was that Terra coins would be kept at $1 in value by making them exchangeable for Luna coins, which could fluctuate in price from a fraction of a cent all the way up to millions of dollars apiece, theoretically. The algorithm would adjust the value of Terra by purchasing Luna coins when the value of Terra needed to be tweaked one way or the other. Usually that meant spending portions of a hoard of Bitcoin assets held by the foundation behind this effort on Luna coins, which would in turn tweak the coin's price upward, which would then cause more people to trade their stable Terra coins for unstable Luna coins, because the latter is increasing in value, and thus they might be able to buy low and sell high. There's an incentive to trade in those coins. This mechanism is distinct from most other algorithmic stablecoin approaches, but seemed to work pretty well for a while, all things considered. Much of this space is still pretty experimental, so the periodic flaws in this sort of might-work-but-who-knows style systems are easy to overlook, and the at-times questionable actions and statements from TerraUSD's founder, Do Kwan, who has said that he enjoys watching other crypto firms die and has called economists who are critical of his algorithmic approach to maintaining coin stability, cockroaches, and poor. Even such weirdness can be overlooked by those engaged with this asset type because, well, the entire scene is pretty weird and filled with colorful, at times even horrible, characters. On May 9th, 2022, though, this stablecoin and its founder became front-page news when Terra began to lose its peg to the dollar and wasn't able to reclaim it. It eventually dropped to 10 cents, and again, the entire point of Terra is to remain at exactly $1, and Luna, that other speculative coin to which Terra is connected for algorithmic rebalancing purposes, plummeted from nearly $120 a piece to essentially zero over the course of just a few days. As of the day I'm recording this, Luna is worth 0.00019 cents, while Terra is still down to just over 11 cents. There's more complexity to this system than I just described, but that's the bare basic nuts and bolts of what this particular stablecoin entails. And the fallout of this coin losing and not being able to regain its pegged price has been substantial, even beyond the immediate Terra Luna ecosystem, because many of these coins and their associated communities are inextricably tied to each other. Until that de-pegging in May, Terra was one of the top five stablecoins in the world, alongside Tether, USD Coin, Finance USD, and DAI. These stablecoins, as I mentioned in the intro, use different mechanisms for maintaining their value peg of one US dollar apiece, and they tend to be used interchangeably as a consequence. Thus, they are shuffled about, holding value for crypto traders in between purchases of more speculative assets, sometimes because it's just easier to do it that way, rather than getting banks and other traditional centralized financial institutions involved at each end, and in some cases because it makes dealing with taxes either easier or cheaper. 
As I mentioned in a previous episode in which I discussed Tether, which is today and has long been the number one largest and most used USD-pegged stablecoin in the world, the assumed value of these pegged assets also support the speculative value of assets like Ethereum and Bitcoin. The coins and NFTs and other crypto assets that fluctuate in value, mostly upward over the past handful of years, are as high in value as they are because they're being bought using stablecoins that are assumed to be worth a dollar or whatever else they're pegged at a piece. If these stablecoins were shown or even strongly suspected to be worth less than a dollar, then suddenly those valuations of Bored Ape NFTs and Bitcoins and other such assets might be called into question. Because almost always folks are not paying directly in dollars, they're paying in Tether and Terra stablecoins. They're not paying millions of dollars for that NFT, they're paying millions of these other crypto assets. This is why some economists and other skeptics of the crypto space, including many folks who work on and love these technologies, consider the current dominant, well-moneyed crypto ecosystem to be something like a house of cards, the entire system perched atop a flimsy foundation that could collapse at any moment, due in large part to the potential instability and maybe lack of legitimacy inherent in these stablecoins. None of which means, importantly, that the technologies behind these assets are worthless or inherently scammy or flimsy, or that all the entities involved in this space are themselves scamsters or fraudsters. It just means that the crypto asset world as it exists today, in addition to being rife with scams and rug pulls and Ponzi schemes by any other name, also might be massively overvalued because some of the stablecoins upon which the whole thing is built might be manipulated to seem to contain more value than they actually do, the complex setup artificially inflating prices and value without anyone realizing it. Tether, for instance, is ostensibly supported by one-for-one -one transferable currency, but over the previous few years has been shown by investigative journalists to actually be backed by a combination of currency, debt, bonds, and crypto assets, any of which could pitch or tilt upward or downward at any moment. It's therefore not clear they have enough of these assets to back all the tether that have been created over the years. So that one-for-one -one convertibility claim might be bogus. No one can be certain. And if they decide, as has been alleged, to make a bunch of new tether without backing it with any real-deal, real-world financial instrument, and then spend that tether on Bitcoin and Ethereum and NFT, they have essentially created fake value out of nothing, inflating the perceived value of the entire crypto space without actually creating any real value. So while some of this concern about stablecoin legitimacy may be just the consequence of opacity by the folks behind these operations, some of it may point at overblown valuations based on coins that are supposedly backed by real money sitting in a bank account somewhere, but which are actually predicated on more volatile assets like Bitcoin, which has lost a lot of value in 2022 already, or based on nothing. And in that latter case, we wouldn't really have any way of knowing unless more leaks and good journalism shows us this is the case. We are forced, basically, to trust the word of people running an industry that has shown itself to be rife with scams and fraud and lies. The seemingly sudden instability of the whole crypto asset world, from coins to NFTs, hasn't happened all at once then. 
it's been teetering a little bit throughout 2022, and there have been precursors to this drop-off on and off over the past handful of years. It's just that this very public toppling of one of the top structural elements of the whole ecosystem, Terra, has amplified existing concerns and pushed some interested parties out of the space entirely, as they've watched their carefully cultivated and celebrated and invested in holdings wither essentially overnight. An asset class that for some only ever seemed to go up, up, up has suddenly and dramatically crashed down. And without any way, any regulatory framework for salvaging what was lost. And that reality check has been a true surprise for many people who were, until this moment, diehard supporters of everything crypto. This has thus spiraled into a trust crisis for crypto and its associated technologies and personalities, which could result in a long dry spell for even the less speculative facets of the crypto and blockchain world. Because this trust, once lost, may be tricky to re-establish amongst individual enthusiasts and financial world entities alike. The crypto crash of 2022, as it's currently being called, isn't happening in a vacuum, though. Stocks on the more speculative side of the market, especially formerly high-yield tech stocks, have collapsed in value, leading to firings in previously rock-solid-seeming companies and substantial deflations of previously yield-accumulating 401ks and index funds. The Nasdaq, which is the stock exchange where the largest and most prominent U.S. tech stocks are traded, has been suffering even more than the broad-based S&P 500, which has also suffered, but not as much, as the larger global stock market has tumbled, in part because many tech companies whose shares were treated as speculative assets are suddenly less solid-seeming than before. Another facet of the aforementioned crisis of trust being felt in the crypto market right now, but in this case carrying over to stocks that seemingly had infinite growth potential as recently as a handful of months ago. That crisis of credibility is paralleling a drop in access to cheap debt as the Fed in the U.S. and similar authorities around the world increase interest rates as part of a larger attempt to rein in booming inflation. The uncertainties of a world upended by several years of global pandemic conditions, climate norms shifting, and a land war in Europe, among other disruptions, are also thought to be playing a role here, as aspects of the playing field, the infrastructure we've taken for granted, like just-in-time capable supply chains and manufacturing hubs that will keep churning out and shipping more of whatever we want, can no longer be taken for granted. There's a lot we don't know about where we're headed. There are some macro-scale unknowns related to geopolitical conflicts and climate-related issues that could disrupt even the best-laid investment plans. And it's hard to say if and when the COVID issue will be sorted out in the political and regulatory sense, but also in the raw biological sense. A lot of companies and people and governments are heavily invested in various aspects of the crypto world, and it's likely we'll continue to see promotion for and investment in such vehicles, even if the height of enthusiasm for such things may have fizzled for the time being. It'll be interesting to see, and this is a big question mark at the moment, whether this period of deflation serves as a reality check for some of the more unrealistic and scammy aspects of the crypto world, clearing the way for more serious, less gambling-oriented use cases, 
or if it will go the way of Beanie Babies and basically die off. From this point forward of interest primarily to historians and economics professors looking to illustrate how bubbles form and pop. The book I'd like to recommend today is called Arriving Today, From Factory to Front Door, Why Everything Has Changed About How and What We Buy by Christopher Mims. I found this to be a very clear and useful book on the global supply chain, or the mesh of global supply chains, I guess I should say. And that's something that's useful to understand as it informs a great deal of what's happening in the world today, even if a lot of what's happening in the world today is mostly the consequence of shockwaves rippling their way through these supply chains. A whole lot of shortages and inflation and issues related to geopolitical relationships tie back in some way to the concept of just-in-time manufacturing and shipping, which is not the way that we have always done economics, but which became by far the most dominant means of doing such economics in relatively recent history. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of Arriving Today by Christopher Mims. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcripts for this episode and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find a portfolio of my other projects, including my other podcasts, at understandery.com. And feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm Colin Wright on Facebook, and at Colin is my name on most of the other ones. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright. And I'll talk to you again next week.